0: All right. Well, if we could all bow our heads, we, let us, just, let us uh, ask the Lord to be with us here in this place. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we humbly come before you today, this afternoon, on your Holy Sabbath Day. Uh, Lord, we want to know more about you. We want to know more about what you are calling each one of us to do and how you want us to co-labor with you in these last days to tell the truth about your character. Cuz Lord, we know that your character is under attack and the whole great controversy is revolving around the vindication of your character. So Lord, help us open our eyes, open our minds to the things you'd have us known. I ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, th- welcome to the uh, Southwest Youth Conference. A uh, breakout session for Little Light Ministries. This is our first session here of, of five. They told me when I got here, you got a fifth one. I was like, okay. <laughs> that was good to know. So tomorrow we got three. Today we have two. There's some seats up front. There's a whole row up front if you guys want to sit down up there. Um, how many of you have heard of our ministry, Little Light Ministries, Little Light Studios? Okay, good. A number of you. Well, my name's Tom, and my brother and I, we started this ministry And we started out by giving a series of of presentations We titled Battlefield Hollywood Because we believe there's a battle going on Right? And this is a battle that we cannot Turn our backs on It's a battle that we cannot Just bury our head in the sand and try to forget about It's something that we have to confront what? Head on, right? And Ephesians 5.11 is, is our ministry's motto to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Because uh, my brother and I, we, we were part of the unfruitful works of darkness as we worked in Hollywood um, in television production. And we came to our senses after a friend witnessed to us. My grandmother never stopped praying for us. Um, uh, a friend of ours sent us some videos from Walter Weith. And we looked at those, and we said, man, what are we doing down here? I, we're working for the wrong team. And so we started to pray and ask the Lord, what would you have us do? And we start praying that prayer. Do you think God's going to leave you unanswered? No. That's, what, that's the prayer he wants us to ask. Amen? Lord, what would you have me do? What, what purpose do you have for me in these last days? And we started praying that, and at first we thought, well... We came to Hollywood to make movies. We like this, this medium. Why don't we make a Christian movie? That was our first thought. So we said, let's, let's do the story of Samson. Because all the ones that Hollywood's made, they messed it up. So let's tell the true story of Samson. And, of course, we just started with that story because we were coming off a 15-year addiction to Hollywood ourselves. And Samson was the story with the most action. Right, and of course, we started with all the fight scenes and how we were going to tell this story. And long story short, my cousin was listening to us. My cousin was listening to us uh, tell him about this idea to make this film, and he goes, "Have you ever heard the testimony of Ivor Myers?" Yes. Yep. And we said, "No, had not heard that." And so he gave us a CD. Welcome, welcome. We can make some room here. There's a few more seats in front. There's two right there. We're just getting started. So, um, so we looked at that. We, we watched Escape from the Black Hole, and we realized, wow, here God led this man out of the hip-hop industry into Christian hip-hop, and then out of that. And so we just said, man, let's just, maybe, maybe the Lord is calling us to do something beyond just making Christian movies. Or maybe that's not what He wants us to do. Maybe that's our idea. So we started praying, Lord, what would you really have us do? What do you want us to do? And then someone asked if we would come to a, a youth rally and give a presentation. Um, and the request was show a movie and tell the kids how it relates to God. And we said, well, I don't know what movie we would pick. And how many kids are going to want to sit around and talk about God after watching a two-hour movie? So we said, why don't we just talk about Hollywood in general? And the youth pastor that was inviting us said, yeah, 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 put something together, whatever. Well, he had no idea what was coming, and he was a little bit starstruck, as it were. When we finished, you could tell he wasn't ready for what we presented there, and that was our first Battlefield Hollywood presentation. And... We looked at the effects of media on the mind and all these things. And since then, the Lord has just opened the way for us to go here and there. And we've been traveling around the world giving these presentations. My brother went to, to uh, what country was it there? Uh, not Korea, but um, oh, man, I'm blanking. Anyway, we went to England three times. Uh, Scott and Brandon went to Austria. Um, uh, Scott's been to Brazil. There's another invite down to Brazil. I'm going to Bermuda next month. So there's just... The Lord has really opened the way for us to, to go around and give these set of presentations. And, and we praise God for that. Today, we're going to not talk about Hollywood, though. Amen? Amen? On the Lord's Day. And because we know that there is a battle taking place, we can find so many promises in the Bible... They give us encouragement, right? And here the Israelites were given this promise before they went into the battle. And this is a promise that we can claim ourselves in these last days as spiritual Israel. And the Bible says, And shall sow unto them, Hear, O Israel, ye draw nigh this day unto battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint, fear not, nor tremble. Neither be ye affrightened at them, for Jehovah your God is he that goeth with you to fight for you. To save, your, to save you, right? Amen? Amen? So the Lord is fighting this battle, right? When we first started this ministry, we thought, you've got to put on the full armor of God because you've got to do battle against Satan. Are we called to do battle against Satan? No, no we're not. Our battle is really with who? Ourselves. With ourselves. Our battle is with self. To step out of the way and to allow God to work in our lives in such a powerful way that He brings about the end of this great controversy. Amen? So I asked the question why are you here? Why did you come to SWYC? Any answers? To learn more. To learn more. Be encouraged by others. Right? This is a, a training, as it were, right? Because there's a battle. And what, what, before you go into battle, what do you got to do? Prepare. You got to prepare, right? And then the question is, well, really, what's the best analogy for that preparation? Because we're talking about a battle. Is it putting on a suit of armor and camo and a gun? Is that the best analogy for this war, right? Because that's oftentimes how we approach it, right? I can take a clip out. I can load it with a bunch of texts that I know about a certain truth. I can load it into a spiritual machine gun, as it were, and I can... <laughs> at somebody. Right? Can we not do that? But does that really work? Is that is that, you know? It leaves that person wounded, maybe. And that's maybe not what the... The Bible's form. The Bible's likened unto a sword. But is it one that we're hurting somebody with? Do you know what I mean? Or is it that thing that is dividing truth and error? Cutting right to the heart. Because that's what we want to do, right? We want to cut right to the heart. So we're here to train. Amen? Yeah. And I really believe one of the best analogies that we have for this training, and the reason you're all here is you're you're here to learn how to be better farmers. Amen? Because we sing the song, I have my hands on the what? The gospel plow. plow. What are you plowing? Hearts. The soil represents hearts, right? Each one of us has a field. Your field of influence. Every person that you come into contact with is your field. So every day, do we have our hands on the gospel plow? Look at this analogy here. The Bible tells us to break up the fallow ground to not sow amongst the thorns, right? So there's a work to be done in preparing the soil before we even plant the seed. Look at what Ellen White says in Christ's Object Lessons. The sowers of the seed have a work to do in preparing hearts to receive the gospel. In ministry of the word, there is too much sermonizing and too little of real heart-to-heart work. Right? We're real good about talking about the truth. But living it and that coming through just the way we are to other people, that's, that speaks louder than words. Amen? There is a need of personal labor for the souls of the lost, in Christ-like sympathy, we should come close to men individually, and seek to awaken their interest in the great things of eternal life. Their hearts may be as hard as the beaten highway, and it, and apparently it may be a useless effort to present the Savior to them. But while logic may fail to move and argument be powerless to convince, how many have been in an argument? And you felt like, man, I'm not I'm getting anywhere with this person. Right? You're trying to, you're, you're doing your best to try to explain it. While these things fail, right? When, while argument fails and, and logic fail to move. Look at the love of Christ revealed in personal ministry. may soften the stony heart so that the seeds of truth can take root. Amen? Because oftentimes we we grab our Bible, we want to get out there, we want to start planting, right? Get the seeds of truth out there. But have we done the work to prepare the soil? And that that work is a relationship work. The gospel is all about relationships, is it not? It's about one-on-one relationships. The plow, right? The gospel is the central theme of the Bible. The restoration of God's image in the souls of men. Education, page 125. So that's the purpose of the gospel. That's the purpose to, get, to be a part of God's farm, right? Is to co-labor with him to bring about a restoration of God's image in the souls of men. Let's say this tree represents my belief in the Sabbath. And it's grown into this beautiful tree when I worked in Hollywood, I worked a lot of Sabbaths. And the first few Sabbaths, it was kind of tough, I'll admit. Even though I wasn't a practicing Adventist at the time, I knew this was the Sabbath, and I shouldn't be at work. But it got easier and easier and easier. And there were shows where I'd work 30 days straight, no day off, no overtime either, because I was non-union. And you get real discombobulated. I mean, it, that, that, that weekly rhythm of rest, we were designed with that as a part of us. And I've really come to appreciate the Sabbath and what a beautiful day that the Lord has set aside to remind us to get ready. Amen? We get this constant reminder that the Lord is coming every Sabbath. Well, I wanted to share this truth with my in-laws, my wife's parents are Jehovah's Witnesses. And they said, hey, why don't we do a Bible study? And I said, oh, cool, yeah, let's do a Bible study. And they said, you bring something you want to study about. I said, okay. So I got out my clip, and I loaded up my machine gun. <laughs> right? And I went into that situation, and I, I, mean, I had two pages. It was just like, I, there's no way they're not going to believe in the Sabbath after this. But do you think it worked? No. It didn't work. And I, I sat back and I thought, man, what did I, what did I do wrong? How could they not see this? I mean, I pretty much presented every scripture there was. And here, it's just like went right over their head. And I realized, looking back on that situation, I asked myself, did I prepare the soil? Did I prepare the soil? Did they, do they see that the Sabbath is something powerful in my own life? So you see, there's a method, there's a science to the gospel. Amen? Because you don't just plant seed any old time, right? Certain seeds need to be planted at certain times during the season. And we we know what those times are based on the seasons that are coming and, and, and how people have farmed in the past and what things grow and what things will not flower if it's too hot or whatever. And so there's a science to the gospel in how we, how we spread the word. It's, it's methodical. It's organized. It's not haphazard. It's not just loading it all into a machine gun and just leveling it at somebody. There's a method to it. There's a science to it. And the Lord wants to teach us that. And I believe that we have lost a connection with the act of farming. How many here are farmers? Two. Right? A hundred years ago... of the male population in this country were farmers. And it had been that way from the beginning. But now, 1% of the male population in this country do our farming. And that's set up a whole other set of problems. The nutrient density of our food has dropped. And if you stay for our next session, we're going to talk about um, health and, and, and a little bit of that. But we're going to get into a little bit of this here. With food. Everywhere you go on planet Earth, our soils are out of balance. Everywhere. No matter where you go, you test those soils and you'll find that they are depleted in certain minerals. Even if you go into the jungles of the Amazon, the soils are out of balance. Interesting. So, Ellen White instructs us, agriculture should be advanced by scientific knowledge. We should employ every aspect of science to try to understand what we need to do to balance the soil. Amen? Just like we should approach the spreading of the gospel scientifically and do everything that we know to bring balance to someone's mind. Amen? And that's Sometimes we don't even know where to, where to begin. We look at the, you look at the dirt, and you have no idea what it's deficient in, right? So we take a sample, we send that off to a laboratory, and they analyze it, and they give us back a recommendation that says, here's where you're deficient. This is what you need to add to bring balance to this soil. And so it's the same way in the spiritual, right? You pray to God, and you say, Lord, I don't know what the condition is of this person's mind. You know and you know what this person needs for their mind soil to be balanced. Lord, send a recommendation and impress upon my heart, what do I need to do to help cultivate and to help prepare that soil so that when I present the truths to them that I know in the Word, the seeds of truth, that they will take root. Amen? So... In agriculture, where what I've learned in the last couple of years is there's a thing called the soil food web. How many of you are familiar with the soil food web, okay? There's a few people. The soil is a living symbiotic so much more complicated than I can even comprehend. And it's there's all these little microscopic Microbes and, and tiny little creatures that live in the soil that consume the organic matter that create the humic acid and the, and the food that your plants eat. Our plants don't eat compost. They eat what the worms and the bacteria and the fungus and the protozoa and the algaes, on and on and on, what they leave behind. Now, if you put down the problem with our mass agriculture and, and agriculture being taken over by just, you know, huge companies where they're just monocropping huge fields. They come in there and they spray copious amounts of NPK, right? High percentages of NPK. How many are familiar with NPK? It's those three little numbers on the side of the fertilizer bag, right? It's referring to nitrogen, Phosphorus. phosphorus, phosphate, And potassium, right? The big three. And calcium is really the fourth in there. Those are the big four. And pretty much agriculture is just focused on that. And they spray down huge amounts of this stuff. 40% nitrogen burns out all the microbes in the soil. And our food is being grown in dead soils. You go to any big mass agriculture field where they're they're monocropping, and you take a shovel and you put it in the ground, you're not going to see one earthworm. And the earthworms are our first indicator that the soil is dead. So if you don't have earthworms in your garden at home, then you need to do something about that, right? And bolstering the soil food web is a way to do that. And that's why this last year, our ministry, we, we designed this little uh, backyard garden kit. This covers an area of 325 square feet, and we called it Soil Salvation. How to start a microbial revival and mineral reformation in your soil. Because our soils are dead. And they're in need of life. Think about that on a spiritual level, right? We're living in a time when, man, the soils of the humanity, the mindset of humanity is dead. I mean, the Bible even talks about even, even God's church is asleep. And we need salvation, right? We need Christ. And so what we put in this kit are microbial inoculants. And then we use ocean water, which I'll get to here, um, that's got 92 minerals in it that are nearly identical to the 92 minerals that are in our own bloodstream. Isn't that interesting? And so in these bottles are little uh, dormant protozoa and algae and... And, and mycorrhiza fungus and that sort of thing. And when you put these things in the ground, they start growing. These are just basically like seeds. You're putting very little amount down. And the bacteria, for instance, will double their numbers every half hour. Every half hour, you got twice as many. And you can see how this thing just grows out of control, right? And that's the way God designed it. God designed for the, the way in which that we share the gospel, for it to just grow out of control. And no matter how much Satan tries to suppress it, it just keeps flourishing. So, um, let's look at mycorrhizae. It's just a little example here. It's, it's, it, this is probably one of the most amazing aspects of the whole soil food web that I've learned um, this last year. This white spidery uh, tentacles here, this is mycorrhizae. This is a, is a root hair. And the mycorrhiza is a fungus that lives symbiotically with the roots of plants. It cannot live without the plant. And the plant, it it gets way more than 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 the fungus is getting. The fungus is simply feeding off a little bit of sugar off the root system of the plant, but what it gives to the plant is so much more. It gives water, it brings nutrients, some of which only go through that channel. Even if the nutrients is in the ground, if the mycorrhiza isn't present, it won't get into the plant. And the, the tentacles of the fungus grow into, this is, a, this is a root, grow into the very cell structure of the root right into the cells. And what it does, it'll actually create a, a network of communication between like species. So all the giant redwoods are connected by mycorrhizae. um, uh, your lettuce row let's say you plant a lettuce row right? and you you inoculate your row with mycorrhiza and this is something that you can glean out of leaf mold too that white spidery fungus you see in the leaves when you're raking up leaves that's mycorrhiza, you can put that in your garden and and get that flourishing Um, but what it'll do is it'll create this communication network between all these like species so your whole lettuce row now will essentially be like one plant and a beetle will come along and start nibbling on this lettuce leaf and the plant's going to react by making some enzymes to ward off that predator and that communication or that message is communicated to the whole lettuce row and all the lettuce plants start doing that. Isn't that amazing? They've never even seen the predator. Now what's that an example of? The Holy Spirit? I don't know, maybe you've never heard of the Holy Spirit being likened unto fungus but think about that. That thing that connects us, right? That is a communication that is living symbiotically with us. And what it affords us and what it gives us, it gives a, a, an extension. We can only reach so far, but the Holy Spirit can reach farther. And bring nutrients and bring moisture and bring the things that, that we need and connect us and, and, you know? You know when you're talking to somebody and and... They have a problem, and you were saying, I was just thinking about you, and I was wanting to pray for you. How, did you, how were you impressed upon that, right? The Holy Spirit. And here's what will happen in your plants. That's a tomato plant that mycorrhiza was not a present, and here it is. And if you just type this into Google Images, you'll see tons and tons of images where people have posted images with and without mycorrhizae and what it does. I've been going to a um, farmer's market at the beginning of the summer. It's gotten kind of busy. I haven't gone in a few weeks. We've been gone so much. But when the summer first started, I got to about five or six farmer's markets. And all I had was the soil salvation kit, salt, and then I would bring a bunch of plants. And I'd have all these plants and everything. So that people would stop and be like, oh, so what are you doing here? And we'd start talking about gardening. And... Um, it was just a great way to open the door and witness to people about the fact that if you approach agriculture from the standpoint of creation, actually, I should say it this way. We have in our possession the greatest evidence that we were created. Because when you approach agriculture from that standpoint, then you, you say, hey, all the, all the soils on the planet are out of balance, therefore I must balance them. What am I balancing them to? To what? The original, but what's the original? How do we even know what the original is? There's some evidence left. It's a living evidence. It's in this room. It's us. When you balance the soil to the human system... The plants become fully mineralized. The fruit becomes fully mineralized, and you benefit from that. Isn't that amazing? And, and it's right down the line. What is the most abundant element in the human body? Well, okay, yes. The next one. Calcium, right? That's the most needed abundant element in the soil is calcium. And it goes right down the line like that. Identical proportions. And um, the salt. The Bible talks about, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt lost its savor, wherewith can it be salted? It's henceforth good for nothing. And it's cast out into the road and trodden under the feet of men, right? And I remember reading that and going, how does salt lose its savor? That's always baffled me. I've never understood it until I came to an understanding of using salt as a fertilizer in the garden. Here's salt that's lost its savor. Here's salt. This is straight, 100% dehydrated ocean water. This is Morton's. It's probably not even from the ocean. And they've added iodine to it. Iodine's here. Right? They say, well, we can't feed them just salt. We've got to put at least one mineral in there. And the reason eating salt is not so good for you is because in your blood it's not just salt. There's 92 minerals in there in a proportion. And so you put this in your bloodstream and your body goes, well, wait a minute, I'm missing 92 things. So it starts robbing from your body to bring homeostasis back to your bloodstream. So Definitely consuming a salt that's from the sea is much better, and that's the way man's always done it, right? So I wonder if Jesus knew the situation that was coming. Because if we if we're if we're called to be the salt of the earth, right? It's interesting there, the salt losing its savior. The savior. Those trace things, those little things that we think are irrelevant. Watch this video here. This is a a video I put together for Lynn Hogue. How many of you have heard of Lynn Hoag? He learned the Ellen White method of gardening from Herbert Clarence White, Ellen White's grandson, when he was a little kid. And everywhere he's gone, he's planted trees this way with huge success. And I believe the Lord led our ministry back up to Northern California, and led me to meet this guy. And he lives in Placerville, and I've been apprenticing with him and traveling around, helping him do gardening seminars and learned a lot from him. And um, I'd always heard, I'd heard about salt, sea salt being used as a fertilizer, but he was the first guy that I'd seen actually using it and explaining really what the benefit is. And you're after those 92 trace minerals and minerals that are in the sea in that proportion that the plants like. And at farmer's market, when I have the salt there and I bring this point up and I say the sea has 92 minerals in it that are nearly identical to our blood. Nine times out of 10, if the person is an atheist and someone who's, you know, knows a lot about atheism and the whole that whole thing, they always say, oh, yeah, that's because we're from the sea. (laughs) Right. And I let that just sit there for just a second and I go. Yeah, but that's not what I said. I didn't say you were like the sea. I said your blood was similar to the sea. I said you are like the dirt. The greatest evidence that we have that we were created right here in front of us. Because no one can argue with the fact that if you balance the soil to the human system, then those proportions are going to be carried through into the fruit. And that's the proportions we need in perfect balance. Because that's the way God operates. He's a God of balance. Amen. So, what a witnessing tool we have right here in the garden. And that, why do you think God put Adam and Eve in the garden in the first place? To tend the garden. And to teach them about what? About balance and about His character, right? They were to learn about God as they tended the garden. And learn more about his character. And every Sabbath God would come and walk with them in the garden. Amazing. And it really is amazing when you take the time to prepare the soil. And balance the soil. What comes out of this? I, I was so excited when I first. Um, and I should have put some, I should have put some, I didn't put any slides together on this, but I, I was so excited when I first. Met Lynn and saw the Ellen White method and this and that. I went home and I dug a 10 by 12, 3 foot hole deep uh, <laughs> experimental Ellen White bed. I said, I'm going to do this whole little bed here, Ellen White style. And it's, how many of you are familiar with the method? Okay, number of you. For those of you who don't know, do we have a dry erase pen here anywhere? Nope. Well, it's a, it's a deep hole digging method. So you dig out a 3 foot by 3 foot hole in the ground. Now, to do that by hand is a little daunting. But you can do it. It just takes a little time. And I I suggest doing your first one by hand, just so you know what you're in for. And then rent a backhoe. Because if you want to put a lot of trees in the ground, you need to make some big holes. And the easiest way to do that is with a backhoe or with an auger. Oh, here we go. Here's a dry erase pen. So you dig this hole out. And then you start, and, and, and when you read the, the, she was given a dream where the angel of the Lord showed her this method. And when you read her account of it, it's very basic. There's, it's, she basically said, the, the angel showed me to dig out a deep cavity. She doesn't say three by three by three foot hole. We've just taken it as that and interpreted it as that. But um, dig out a deep cavity and layer in dressing and things that will promote rich soil. Those are the terms she used. So meaning compost and, and you know amending the soil and, and fertilizing it, actually. So if you, you test your soil and you're putting down in this hole um, all the amendments you would need to, to balance uh, this thing. And it, I'm drawing layers here, but you're not making layers. You're just kind of someone's on the dirt. Someone's on the compost. Someone's got the, the amendment in there. Just, we're just tossing it in the hole. When you get halfway up this hole, you put in a layer of rock, three to four inches thick, okay? Um, and at first, everybody thought that that was for drainage. Rock, we need some drainage in the hole. It's not. And what's, what we believe is taking place is when you, when you bolster the soil food web and you get that thing really thriving, you've got what's called aerobic, microbial life, and anaerobic microbial life there's only there's only so far down into the earth that oxygen exists so below that point about 18 to 20 24 inches or so below the surface you go into an anaerobic situation with all the microbes that are living there by putting a rock layer at that point you create an insulation between those two types of life and you increase the weak electromagnetic charge that's in the soil we just made a biological fuel cell and Ellen White says, all life is electrical. And that electricity stimulates the life of the microbes. It stimulates the life and growth of the plant. And your tree will fruit the second year, not the sixth. It's phenomenal, the growth. That you, I mean, you saw those, those giant redwoods. And that was by a suggestion. A guy came to his class who was, uh, worked for the Forestry Service. And he said, hey, what if we plant a giant redwood this way, a sequoia? And he goes, Lynn goes, I don't know, let's try it. And so that's at the Plasterville Church. If you ever are up in Northern California and you want to just go by and see it for yourself, drive up to the Plasterville Church and behind the church you'll see these, you'll see one ginormous Christmas tree, and you'll see four little ones right next to it. And the forestry service guy came, he's, he said, This is what we do. They just put a little gouge in the ground, they put the tree in. That's all they do, right? And a lot of times that's the way our trees are planted in for fruit growing too. They just put a little gouge in the ground and put those trees in. And, of course, this is not something that someone's going to do on a mass level, right? It would just cost so much. So doing this on a personal, uh, in your personal gardens and that sort of thing is, is highly beneficial because you're going to, it's going to fruit quicker, and your fruit is going to taste that much better because you've prepared the soil and balanced it, and your, your fruit's going to be fully mineralized. Because each of our fruits and vegetables, they only take up a spectrum of the full spectrum of minerals that we need. Are you aware of that? So the tomatoes are only taking up, you know, 30, 40 minerals. The sweet potatoes are taking up 60 to 70 minerals if they're available, right? So if they're not available, then your sweet potato's got 30 minerals in it, and it's not fully mineralized. And that's the situation that that we're living in. And so... If we're going to approach agriculture scientifically, we need to get serious about our about what we're intaking, right? And we need to say is this food nutrient dense? And then one way you can do that, you can uh, get one of these little instruments here. It's called a refractometer. And this was designed by a Dr. Brix. He was a Frenchman who was a winemaker. And so he designed this little instrument to test the amount of sugar that was in the grapes so he knew when to crush the grapes and make wine. Well, we can apply it to the garden as well. So you go in the grocery store, and you tell the guy, hey, I want to I buy this cantaloupe, but I want you to cut it open for me. And they have to. You know that, right? The, the grocery store guy has a little knife on his belt. He has to open up a watermelon if you want to taste it. You know that? No. Well, I... I, I yeah, maybe I was the only one. <clears throat> my, uh, I learned that from my mom. we go in the grocery store. She was constantly, I was always embarrassed. Oh man, she's having them cut open the watermelon. <laughs> Just buy it. <laughs> so they'll cut open any fruit in there, and you take out, you pull out your refractometer out of your pocket, you drop a little drop of juice on there, a couple drops, and you close the little lid here, and you look through the thing. And you go, ah, OK, that's at a 12.5. And then you pull out your chart. And you say, uh, let see, cantaloupe, 12, it's average. Maybe you want to buy it, maybe you don't. If it's poor, I'd leave it there, right? Most of what I've, I've been testing stuff in the grocery stores, most everything is right in here, poor to average. Tomatoes, the reason kids don't eat tomatoes these days? is because the bricks readings are down here, two and three, four, very, very poor, right? How about farmers marketing? How do they measure out? They're doing a little better, but I even went to, I've, th- that's where I've started to turn my focus. What we've realized is maybe we shouldn't market this kit uh, to individual gar- gardeners so much as we should market it to the growers themselves. So we've, I've actually started going around and meet some of the growers, and I, I walk up and I say, hey, can I test some of your stuff? And they're like, what do you mean? And I go, well, I got this refractometer. Like, what's that? So I start testing it, and one guy's like, well, test everything I got here, you know? So I'm looking at all this stuff. And... <laughs> and so I give him my card, and I say, hey, call us, because we want to help you grow. We want to help you go beyond organic and grow nutrient-dense food. Because organic isn't a measurement of where the nutrient value lies. <laughs> organic is a political term. And it really, all it says is, I didn't use poison. (laughs) Right? And that's pretty much all it says. It doesn't say that, you know, I I tested the soil and I balanced it, and here you're getting nutrient-dense food. It doesn't say that. But I believe the next wave of labeling we're going to start seeing, people are starting to become more more aware of this. They're going to start demanding, I want nutrient-dense food. And so I've, I've told these farmers in my local area, I said, let us work with you. We'll help you get your, your soil balanced and get your, your bricks levels up, and then we'll help, you make, we'll help you do all the graphic design and everything and make you signs like this that say, hey, we're growing nutrient-dense food. Look for yourself. Taste for yourself. Because you know what? You don't really need this. God put one of these in each one of us. It's in our mouth. That's the reason kids don't like tomatoes because they are tasting the fact that there is no nutrient value there. The tomatoes that I grew in that experimental Ellen White bed at home, I had a cherry tomato that's uh, a sun gold cherry tomato, and it bricks at a 22. Tomatoes down here, excellent, it's at 12. They tasted like candy. My girls would wake up in the morning and they'd say, Dad, we want to go eat tomatoes really that's what you want for breakfast okay so we'd walk out there and they would just pick tomatoes and eat tomatoes because they were so good and when we shot our little video for the salt on our website i had brandon bring his kids over I said, well, hey well let's get some shots of the kids out there you know putting the stuff in the garden and and show that it's kind of easy and and that you know have them eating some of the fruit and he's like oh man you're not going to get my kids to eat tomatoes i said oh okay well let's see and so we come over and his son starts walking through my sun gold. I and mean, these plants were ginormous. I wasn't even ready for them. I lost half the plant because it just... <laughs> 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 and he starts picking these. He's like, Dad, you got to try these. These are amazing. <laughs> right? And isn't that the way it should be? Amen. I mean, isn't the Bible talks about you shall know them by, your, by their fruits? That's what people should say. Wow, this is amazing. But it all comes back to, really, the the heart of the matter is that it's a matter of the heart. And what's the condition of our heart? Because that's going to determine the nutrient value of the fruit that we put out. Here in uh, the sixth uh, volume of the Testimonies, Ellen White says, let... The teachers wake up to the importance of, the subject, of this subject and teach agriculture and other industries that it is essential for the students to understand. Seek in every department of labor to reach the, uh, the very best results. Let the science of the word of God be brought into the work. I mean, we can sit here and put make analogy after analogy after analogy. And... And, and help kids understand more about the Bible from the physical world, right? Isn't that what Christ did, right? That the students may understand correct principles and may reach the highest possible standard. Exert your God-given abilities and bring all your energies into the development of the Lord's farm. She's not talking about a physical farm. Study and labor that the best results and the greatest return may come from seed sowing. That there may be an abundant supply of food, both temporal and spiritual. I take that back. She's talking about both, right? Our farms are the Lord's farm. Amen? But there's a spiritual farm that she's referring to here, too, as well, both the spiritual and the temporal. For the increased number of students that shall be gathered in to be trained as Christian workers. So these pictures here at the top, uh, this last Thursday, I had the opportunity to go down to Bellflower, uh, and there's a little school there, Adventist Union School. And I met one of the parents, um, uh from this, from this area at the Can You Hear Me Now conference, and we sat and had lunch together, and, and he had come to this presentation that I'm giving you here, and he's like, man, will we come to our school? And I said, yeah, I'll come to your school. Well, he called the week before last, and he said, we really want you to come to the school. And I said, well, I'm going to be down there, actually, for this weekend, and I'm going to be in Palmdale the whole week before with my wife and, and visiting her, her parents there. So if you want, I'll come down. How about Thursday? Thursday's great. Well, we won't do any school. We're just going to do gardening. I said, all right. So I showed up. Man, the kids were so eager. Hey, look at this guy here, man. He just jumped right in. He, he, wanted, to, he wanted to work the shovel the whole time. <laughs> and and the, you know at first, the, the, the principal was like, well, I don't know how the kids are really going to react. Maybe they're not going to want to get dirty. They didn't care. They were crawling around in the dirt and digging around and wanting to figure it out. And pretty much the whole day, all we spent was preparing the soil. The very end of the day, we got to planting. And I was able to give them a little, uh, we went in during the hot part of the day and I gave them a little uh, presentation too about uh, some of these things here. And they were so receptive and, and they just loved it. Here we're planting a tree, the Ellen White method. And so um, we put two fig trees in the ground. We put one, the Ellen White method, and then right off camera over here is another tree just planted the conventional way. And so the kids are going to be able to see that difference, right? And they're all excited about it. Um, It was a blessing. I had I had a really good time with this little school. It's just three three room school, and um, I brought my my manual wheatgrass juicer and a tray of wheatgrass, and the kids had never even knew you could juice grass. (laughs) They're like, "What? We're going to juice this grass?" And man, they were all over there. I want to crank it. I want to crank it. They wanted to crank the thing, and we and and I thought because my kids are. So my girls, both of them, they don't care for the wheatgrass juice, unfortunately. I was like, oh, they don't like it. It's really good. Have many of you had wheatgrass juice? Now, wheatgrass is one of the few plants on the planet that will actually take up all 92 minerals out of the sea. Become a fully mineralized food, and therefore a survival food. You could survive on eight ounces of wheatgrass juice a day, eat nothing else, and have perfect health. I read that in an article by a guy uh, named Dr. Don Jansen. He bought Maynard Murray's farm. Maynard Murray was the first guy who experimented with sea salt in the garden in the 70s. And he had an experimental farm in Florida, and he found that the coconut tree drinks trace seawater. That's why the coconut water is nearly identical to your blood plasma. And you can literally take a coconut. They did this in World War II in the South Pacific. Poke an IV in there and right into your vein. Out of a coconut. Yeah. Yep. Probably better than an IV. That's God's IV. Right? Um, And really, coconut water. I mean, look at how... I mean, it's everywhere now, right? I'm paying $1.70 a can. Gladly. Because I love the stuff. It's so good. So... They, uh, these kids were super excited, and man, there was probably, probably 90% of them loved the wheatgrass juice. They were like, man, this is good. One kid's like, it tastes like watermelon and something else, he said. Uh, it, it, and they, they just had a good time uh, juicing that up and, and uh, learning about the wheatgrass, because what an amazing thing. I mean, can you think of a character in the Bible who survived on grass? Yeah. King Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> you think it just says that? No. He ate grass, literally, for seven years. Wheatgrass. Wheat and he didn't have a juicer. So it took him all day to get an ounce. And in seven years, he regained his sanity. Because you've got to think about the king, right? He was the king. He was living the most lavish lifestyle there was. Well, that's all of us. We're all kings, right? Living a lavish lifestyle. I mean, just, we got, it's so easy for us to just go buy this and that. And literally, we are living in a full stomach starvation situation. People in this country think they're full. But their bodies are starving for nutrients. Think about that on the spiritual level. Right? We are in a full stomach starvation situation. We are living in an, an age of information overload. We are full to overflowing. But our minds are starving for the truth. Amen. Starving for the truth. So understanding these things uh, on a physical level helps us to understand them a little bit better on a spiritual level. And, and vice versa. Right? It's, a, it's a, a back and forth situation here. He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. Amen? And so we, he is our example, right? Christ is our example. He's called each one of us to sow seed. And you think about seeds for a moment. Do you think you could come up here and tell me what every single one of those were, would grow into? Right? What do you got to do? You gotta plant those seeds. See, we can we can sit here, we can talk about it all day long. We can talk about this seed and that seed and this verse and that verse, right? But until those seeds are planted in the heart and grow, right? We don't know really what we're dealing with. Really. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. We we need to we need to consume the word. Amen? And it become a part of us. And no matter what our age is, no matter what our occupation is, we're all called to sow seed. Amen? We're all called to be sowers of the seed. So then we come to the question, what are we growing? What are we growing? When these seeds are planted in the heart, what is represented by the plants? Any guesses? Life. Character. Life, character. He hit it right on the head. A character. Look at this. Again, in Christ's Object Lessons. This is my favorite book. I've listened to it on a CD, I don't know how many times. Read it a few times. It's, it's just beautiful the way Christ worked with humanity on our level. Explaining things that were familiar to us so that we could understand the heavenly. And look at what she says. Every seed brings forth fruit after its kind. Sow the seed under the right conditions. Right? You've prepared the soil. You know what time it is. You know what season it is. And it will develop its own life in the plant. Receive into the soul by faith the incorruptible word. And it will bring forth a character and a life after the similitude of the character and life of God. Amen. God is desiring to grow His character within His people. Within everyone, for that matter, right? That's the purpose of the gospel. To restore God's image in the souls of men. So here, we all want to what? We all want to bear fruit. We all want to bear fruit. And so what is the fruit? Right? The fruits of the Spirit. And if you... Look up Genesis there. Actually, would someone read that for me? Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3. This is the call of Abram. And the call of Abram is our same calling. Amen? So what was what was Abram called to be? Now the Lord said, had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I'll make of thee a great nation, and I'll bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I'll bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So what was Abraham called to be? A blessing. blessing. Is that not what we're called to be? A blessing. You shall know them by their fruits. A fruit is a blessing to someone. Is it not? And guess what? What do you get when you, when, you, when you give somebody the fruit? What do they get in the fruit? Seed. The seed. Isn't that amazing? And do they just get one seed? Sometimes. But oftentimes, there's hundreds of seeds. In one of these bell peppers, I was like, man, there's a lot of seeds in this bell pepper. I wonder really how much there are. So I started counting them. There's over 300 seeds in one bell pepper. A little baby bok choy plant. I did this with, this, with the class uh, on Thursday. Um, I had some, some baby bok choy, and I trimmed all the leaves off, and I, I did pull the plants out for whatever reason, and they just they went to seed. And all of a sudden, I looked, and there's all these little seed pods all over the plant. And I went, wow, look at all those pods. I collected all the pods off one plant. I took them down to the, to the class at, at, at Bellflower there, and I gave all the kids a, a seed pod, and I said, crack these open. And first try to tell me what it is. Nobody, nobody knew what the seed was, right? They're looking at it going, I don't know, it's a little tiny seed. Tiny, little, tiny, little seed. And they counted all their little seeds, and we added up all the seeds, and there were 534 seeds wow. from one. How much has God given us? Right? Everything, right? I mean, look at how this thing could just grow completely out of control, perpetuate and grow out of control now I need to look at the time here and see where we're at. Perfect. Okay. So, yeah, the seed is in the fruit. And when we when when you it's like a perpetual motion machine. It just gets going. And the more we do it, the better it gets and the more we understand, just like it is with farming. Like I I barely knew anything before, a couple years ago. And it feels, like I've, I, it feels like I still don't know anything. And there's so much more to learn. But that's exciting to me. I, 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 man, I'm just like, I'm, I'm jumping in this with both feet and trying to learn as much as I can. And that's the way we should approach it. Amen? Because the time is short. And we don't have much time left. Really, we don't. And so to get out there and to put those things out there is, is the greatest evidence that the world can see. And look at what the, actually here, the greatest evidence of the power of Christianity and how it's represented. What, is she, what does Ellen White say here? That The greatest evidence of the power of Christianity can be represented to the world in a well-ordered, well-disciplined family. That's the greatest evidence. That's why Satan hates the family, right? And is attacking the family. For it is a living witness... Of its practical power upon the heart, because you think about it, our families, right, are some of the hardest people to get along with, right? I mean, we could be nice to everybody else, and then we go home. And I'm I'm no different. I'm I'm struggling with this myself. I'm like, Lord, make me a patient father, you know. And I've learned, like, just like out in the garden, I'm. Training the tomato plants, right? Because you got to train them. If you don't train them, they go out of control. Right? If you don't train them, they go out of control. And a shoot will start growing out this way. And you're like, no, 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 no. you got to take that off. Right? And it becomes more and more painful the more longer you let that shoot grow. That's why there's that saying, my dad always used to say, nip it in the bud. Have you ever heard that term? Nip it in the bud. That's a gardening term. That's right when you see the bud, nip it. Right when you see that little sprout of something going the wrong direction, you know? And the training, the teaching that God has been teaching me in the garden and how to relate to my own children has been amazing. Because we know that we live in a time when there is an adversary. And he's planting seeds too, right? Satan has been here for thousands of years, and he knows the human mind better than we do, right? And he has created devices and things, and the seeds that he is planting are genetically altered, right? They're mutations of the truth. Notice, Satan can't create his own seed. He can just mess with it, right? And that's what he's done. He's he's inserted genes from animals into the truth. And he's wanting to take humanity from the image of God to the image of a beast. Isn't that what evolution says? We're just animals. But isn't it funny? It's so backwards, right? We didn't evolve to this state. We devolved We came down to this level. We haven't come up to this level. It's amazing that anybody believes that. It really is. It's baffling. So that's our time here um, for this first session. And I'd just like to close with a word of prayer. Thank you so much for your attention. And um, we'll have a little small break, and then we'll get started into the next session. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for the truths that you have given to us, that we can know truth, that we can have a standard, that we can measure everything against. Lord, let us be diligent in our, in our walk with you. Let us understand more fully the co-laboring work that you would have us do with you for the souls of those around us. Lord, may we be a, an influence like never before. Come into our lives and speak through us, shine through us, so that people don't just see us, they see you. Because, Lord, we know the time is short. And we want to see your name vindicated, and, Lord, we know that is, is done in your people, in the character of your people, in the development of the character of your people. So, Lord, please, develop our characters. Forgive us for not understanding and for not being diligent to this point. But, Lord, as we go from here, May we just have this insatiable appetite for your word and for the things of heaven. Lord, go with us in a mighty way. Send your Holy Spirit to attend us. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more.